The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Meditation doesn't have to be a solo practice. Meditation is more fun with friends. Looking for a way to drop in and hang out at the same time? Join us online at Omega Institute for a meditation party with self-proclaimed meditation nerds Dan Harris, host of the 10% Happier podcast, Sabene Selassie and Jeff Warren. This three-day retreat will stream live from Omega's Hudson Valley Campus, May 17th to 19th. Don't miss the party. Reserve your spot at eomega.org slash party today. Thanks for joining us. This is Unity Online Radio. The voice of an awakening world. Welcome to Spirit of Recovery, offering support for your spiritual growth and addiction recovery. Here's Rev. Lonnie Vanderslice and Rev. Dan Beckett. Welcome to Spirit of Recovery on Unity Online Radio. We're glad you're with us today. I am Rev. Lonnie Vanderslice. And I'm Rev. Dan Beckett. And together we discuss the ways that spirituality and recovery intertwine and work together to support your spiritual growth in your recovery journey. If you're listening live, you're welcome to join our discussion with your comments and questions. You can call us right now at 816-251-3555. Again, that number is 816-251-3555. We'd love to hear from you. And Facebook users, you can also message us during the show or anytime during the week from our Facebook page, Spirit of Recovery. Just click the Send Message button right below the banner. And as with phone calls, your anonymity is always respected. So why do we need spiritual community? You know, they say fellowship or spiritual community is a necessary part of recovery. You can't do this alone. Why go to meetings? Can't I just go to church? What if I belong to another community of faith? Today, we want to talk about the power of community and how it fits best in your recovery journey. Specifically, how can we move from isolation to joyous connection through the power of community? And we'll begin by sharing what isolation has looked like for each of us, and then move into our experiences with community, specifically recovery community. And after the break, we'll share exactly how the community was instrumental in showing us the path from isolation to joyous connection. So, Lonnie, isolation is a very, very common experience for many, if not most, if perhaps not all of us in addiction recovery. What do you remember from what that was like or maybe still is from time to time? Oh, it certainly can be, and it is a very common experience. Um, You know, when I think back about that, I don't think about calling it isolation. What I thought about calling it was disconnection, you know, and and as early as I can remember – I recall feeling alone. You know, this was way before my addiction ever developed. Uh, Feeling like I'm on the outside looking in. You know, like I don't quite fit in. Like I'm not quite sure what's going on here in life in general. And so I always had this this kind of a restless feeling in 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 my body and in my uh, social circles and everything else. It just I didn't feel connected. I didn't feel uh, a part of. Yeah, I had the exact same experience, uh, and it does. It goes back really far. I don't even know that I could say where it started or what the 
cause was. I just know that it has been with me um, for so long that it just seems like it was there from the beginning of my life. I'm not sure. But one way that it showed up was that uh, I was very reluctant to, you know, did not really want to share with others how I was feeling about anything. And again, as you described, this seems to start, or at least for us it has at such an early age that I'm not sure why exactly this was the case. But I know that, um, you know, I, I can think all, pretty far back in my life, even to, you know, pre-kindergarten days and clearly remember that I was really not um, that interested in sharing how I was feeling with other people. So that isolation runs pretty far back in time for me. You know, some of the some of the situations for me had to do with uh, fear. You know, I, I was afraid of people. I was afraid of being judged. I was afraid of looking bad, afraid of not fitting in, being one of the cool people in the group, you know, as being seen as different, as not measuring up. You know, all of these various ways in which my own judgment was telling me I don't belong. And, um, and, you know, I believed it for so many years. And so that left me feeling isolated and alone, uh, all by myself in the world and disconnected. You know, when I think back about it, I recognize that it's sort of a, um, I don't know, a yin and yang thing. You know, these two pieces are related. I said how I didn't want to share what was going on with me, but at the same time, I didn't really have the tools or the skills, you know, or the experience uh, doing that. So I think each of those things served to somewhat feed the other. Um, and even if maybe I did want to, I really didn't know how to, or I didn't, at least I didn't feel comfortable. I didn't feel like I knew what to do. It didn't seem safe, as you said, uh, to do so. And so not only was I, mo for the most part, missing the motivation that was probably linked to most certainly missing the skills and the experience uh, necessary to, to be okay doing that. You know, by the time I was a teenager, I recognized that that's when alcohol entered the picture for me, that that's, that's what that did for me. You know, it took that fear away. It took that uneasiness away. It took that... Um, discomfort of being in my own skin in a group of people, you know, it, it loosened me up to the point where I felt like I didn't have to sit on the sidelines and where I could participate and I could become a part of. And, and then it left me feeling alone because, you know, not only as the disease progressed, but as the night progressed, you know, because I metabolize alcohol differently than others. And pretty soon it's, well, how come everybody else stopped drinking? I'm going to have another one. You know, and, and then I'm sitting there alone again. Yeah, I didn't know what's wrong with those people. <laughs> they had a drinking problem. They didn't know how to drink right. Um, those first two things I shared about not really wanting to share with others and then at the same time not having the tools or the skills uh, also kind of led to I didn't I couldn't discern who it would be okay to connect with or share with. Uh, and who it wouldn't. So, you know, the issue of knowing uh, who I could trust and how to connect with them if I felt like I could, you know, all these things mixed together uh, to the point where at any moment in time, it just seemed like it was easier to not say anything. You know, it seemed like a, 
seemed like a Rubik's cube or something. I theoretically I I understood how it was supposed to work, but I couldn't get the sides all the same color, and so I just said, oh, "Never mind, I'll give up." <laughs> you know, when I think back about this, I think about um, social systems and enculturation, and being taught, "Why do you want to air your dirty laundry?" You know, you don't talk about this stuff in public and feelings was the stuff that we didn't talk about in public. And so I lived in kind of a closed system and I learned later on it was it was a dysfunctional system because it's the secrets that that uh, kept kept things in a bad way. And so, you know, I was very wary when I, I finally landed in um, I landed in therapy before I ever landed in a recovery meeting. And that was the very first time that I ever opened up to anybody. And as it turned out, after a year of therapy, that lady happened to be in a 12-step meeting, or had to be, happened to be a 12-stepper, and she escorted me to my first meeting. And that was the very beginning of opening the door on that closed system. Wow. I also... Um... As you say that, remembering that I, I did find myself in counseling before uh, I found myself in a in a unity church before I found myself in recovery. And I mean years, at 10 years or more before I got on the path. I, I knew something was up. Uh, another thing I remember is that, you know, because of my lack of skills and then therefore lack of experience, in connecting with people, I didn't even recognize the downside of being isolated. You know, it was kind of all that I ever really knew. And it took, you know, it took uh, some years in recovery and some learning those skills and some undoing of those old habits before I could even recognize that, you know, I remember thinking that, wow, this is a much better way. This is a much easier and a much better way to be in the world, and I never knew this before. I didn't even recognize um, the difficulty that was being caused by my lack of willingness and skills and experience in just simply connecting with others and communicating well with others what was really going on with me. Well, you know, you talk about communicating with and connecting with, you know, I agree those are not skills that I, I had. You know, I, I had, had family patterns. And I saw a few of the um, adult interactions around me, and most of those centered on an activity of some kind. And so I never didn't know how to make what I know today I would call a heart connection. Uh, you know, the only basis I knew on upon which to make a connection was let's do something. You know, let's go to the ball game, or or let's go work on the house, or let's go, you know, let's go sit in the park, or let's go someplace and do something. And so, you know, thusly I became a human doing. You know, I didn't I didn't have those skills as you mentioned to to connect with um, anybody. I remember though when I first entered that meeting I was telling you about. I hung around there for about six months, but I never felt connected to anybody. I People knew my name, but people were pretty much connect, you know, in themselves and in their own cliques and that kind of thing. And I felt still on the outside, but I kept coming back. And at, at one point, uh, my new sponsor invited me to go to a different meeting where I went. And when I walked in that room, I was greeted. Uh, people, two people walked up to me, introduced themselves. They took me over to the table they were sitting at and said, here, sit beside me. 
They got me a cup of coffee. They seemed genuinely interested in me. And I'm going, wow, this is like night and day. I still didn't want to tell them what's going on with me. But, you know, both of them had been in the program long enough. They knew. <laughs> they knew what was going on. Yeah, that, that phrase, heart connection, I, I think that is the very best description. And that's what I was lacking the skills and experience to do. And I found myself, um, and I, su I suppose this is just a, a human habit or trait or quality, that it was just easier to choose what was really the safety of my comfort zone over what felt like the definite risk of reaching out and trying in a clumsy, unstudied, inexperienced manner to make what I would now call a, a heart connection that I really didn't even have a good concept of at the time. So again, that kind of go with what you know, um, don't take chances. It's just easier to keep doing what I was doing yesterday than it is to stumble through something new and different and and really honestly painful uh, learning experience you know it very felt very much on my own too mm -hmm. i remember you know i had some habits that kept me from making these connections and one was that i would show up like a wallflower you know i would i would hang out around the edges of things i wouldn't get in the middle i wouldn't really participate i'd and you know i would wait to be noticed and I would wait for um, somebody else to make the first move to notice me and go, oh, hi, my name is, you know, I didn't, I didn't want to take that chance you're talking about, about walking up to somebody and saying, hi, I'm new here. <laughs> you know, what's your name? Yeah, I didn't, I didn't have that skill or ability at that point either. Yeah, I, I was just at a, uh, at a thing a couple days ago. Uh, where I, you know, I was moderately comfortable. It was definitely a community I don't spend a lot of time with. But as and we'd been there for a while, and and as we were leaving, uh, a person literally chased us down because they hadn't met us to say hi. And I thought that's an extrovert if I ever saw one. So we talked to them for a while, and then another person did the same thing. And I told Heather, "We got to run to the car. If another extrovert chases me down, I'm going to scream." <laughs> but yes, so now that we know about this challenge of isolation, what is the solution? Well, in unity, we affirm that we're all connected, that we're all connected to each other and to God, which collectively we refer to as oneness. And this this is, you know, the big deal. Yeah, oneness uh, being a central tenet of unity thought. In fact, everything we teach and, and understand relates in one way or, it's an or another to this core truth of oneness, that underneath it all, we are, in fact, connected. And so in recovery, this kind of connectedness shows up as community, specifically recovery communities that are central to our healing journey, and that's what we want to focus on today. But not all spiritual or recovery communities are the same. A community that might be ideal for some people may not be right for somebody else. So how do we know what a good one for us looks like? And what are the qualities of a healthy recovery community? You know, Dan, you mentioned that you've been two or three places before you ever landed in a 12-step. And, and so you've experienced different spiritual or recovery types of communities. Where'd you start and how did you know what was right for you? Well, I, I think I really began to get it in the recovery communities themselves. You know, the other um, 
you know, had done some counseling, which really a one-on-one relationship, which I was much more adept at. Um, and then early church communities, you know, I, I was showing up, but not really um, participating more deeply than a Sunday morning experience. And so it really wasn't until I got in recovery that I began to learn what a, a healthy community, spiritual community, looks like, and the, the, the quality that comes to mind for me first is, the, is that it's a place where it's safe for everyone to be themselves, you know, for each of us to um, share honestly about who we are, what's going on with us, you know, as we, we say in the program, tell on ourselves, you know, if my thinking's getting a little wacky, I I can um, share that with others and they've been there and they understand and they know what's going on. And so it's a place where it's safe for each of us to be ourselves. And, you know, it took me a while to, to recognize and realize that it's not as if when I first walked in the door, I immediately felt that way, but the group was that way. And it took me a little while to kind of catch up with and get in sync with this, with what was going on. But to me, a, a community, a, a, a spiritual growth community, and nowadays actually any community that I would call healthy, whether it's recovery or not, spiritual or not, uh, is a place where it's safe for each person to be themselves. Well, I think that when I learned that I didn't have to fear everything, and as you mentioned, it takes a while. You know, in, in the group that I landed in the second time, it it was several weeks, if not months, before I felt at ease to be who I was. I still felt like I had to hide parts of my life and and who I was and and that kind of thing. And and I don't know exactly when that veil of fear dropped, but that was important for me. You know that that people were tolerant, that there was no judgment. Um, you know, and I heard a reading in the book that they read that said uh, love and tolerance is our code. And I'm going, oh, okay. So, you know, what does that look like? That's what that looks like. And so I began to learn about non-judgmentalism and tolerance and and support, you know, that that a community could provide. I love that too. And and I kind of learned that the same way that you did, a little bit slowly over time. And one thing I recognized after a while that that it it's almost like, uh, I don't know if it's an outcome or something that's very closely related, that such community is inevitably always welcoming to all people who come in. I definitely found that to be the case strongly in a recovery community. Um, you know, other communities had it to some degree, more or less perhaps, but a addiction recovery community had it very, very strongly. And I now know that's because of our our common experience of where we've all been. I mean, who of us is in a position to not be welcoming to a newcomer? And even if there might be a few who are not, the overwhelming you know tenor of the group is that it is welcoming. And we're glad you're here and and keep coming back and you know thank you for sharing and all of that kind of thing that makes it clear that the group really is welcoming to everyone and that that's a you know hallmark of a of a healthy community for me another one for me is the supportiveness uh, and it's related to what you were just talking about you know uh, in other communities 
to show up, I had to dress a certain way. I had to present a certain way. Um, you know, I had to have my hair combed. I <laughs> had to have, you know, a shirt that matched my jeans, you know, those kind of things. And the recovery community does not have expectations along those lines. And in the beginning, I was doing good to get to a meeting, let alone to be put together when I got there. You know, and I can remember probably my first year, it was a smoking meeting and I am allergic to cigarette smoke. I wore the same sweater to the meeting every day, probably for a year, because I'd peel it off when I get home and leave it in a corner in the floor, you know, because it's like, oh, my God, I can't even have that in the house. You know, but they were tolerant of that. Nobody said to me, how come you're wearing the same sweater every day? You know, and it was just just the way that it was. And uh, as I became um, connected with the group, then I started seeing, oh, this is what people do. This is how they show up. Not in an expectation sort of way, but as a, I want what they have sort of way. We had that same coat. I, it was called the bar jacket. It was the jacket you wore to the bar. That's just like you said, smoke filled room, hang it outside the back door. Don't touch it until you go to the next smoke filled room. Um, I love what you said about, uh, everyone being welcome and, and it doesn't really matter what you're wearing. I, I knew a fella years ago uh, in a meeting who was a very, you know, even, even for recovery group, kind of an odd look as he, he came in with this big unkempt beard and a really old felt hat that looked like it could be falling apart. Hard to tell no shoes, bare feet um, and a dog uh, coming along with him. And you, you thought, well, my goodness, who is this guy? And he looks like he's right off of, the street or something, and and then he would share. And it's like, oh, there is so much more going on than I can detect with my, you know, my really prejudices. And I thought, oh, if a person looks like this or he's not wearing shoes or, or whatever, hey, man, it doesn't matter. That's what I learned uh, pretty quickly. And that's, that is one of uh, the shared values that we have, which is another aspect of a healthy community is uh, I think a healthy community has shared values and in a recovery community, it, it very much could be the 12 traditions. You know, those are the values that the group shares. Now, each of us coming in might not be fully aligned with all that at first, but you know, that's something that we pick up and learn over time. So even if I'm not completely in sync with the group values as a newer member of the group, they're still there. You know, the values are there and they're in place and you can feel it. And that makes for a healthy group, I think. Oh, I would agree with you on that. And, you know, I can recall having a conversation about values and I had a few but they didn't make any sense to me. They were disconnected as in, well, this is what I do over here, but over there I do something different. You know, I mean, I didn't know really how to implement um, behaviors that supported my values. And those were the kind of things that some structure uh, through 12 steps, through the 12 traditions gave me was a way to to assemble these things that I believe deeply in, in a, in a manner that would work for me. And so, you know, um, that helped me a lot because it helped me find my meaning, you know, in all of this. It helped me find meaning and purpose in my life about, you know, well, what's my life about anyway? And, and why am I here? And what am I doing? And and how, how important is this? And, you know, several things that had kind of been in the back of my mind and they started coming to the forefront when I started having those kinds of conversations that made a difference. 
One thing that comes to mind when I ask myself, what does a healthy community look like for me is, is it's a, a familiar place where at least some of the people are familiar. Now that doesn't, um, that doesn't apply if I first walk into a group, you know, if I've, I've moved a couple times in recovery. So I might go to a group and I, I don't know the room yet and I don't know the people, but it doesn't take long of showing up at the, you know, at the same day and time for the same meeting that I very quickly begin to recognize some faces and they, people begin to recognize me. And, um, you know, and then we're saying hello before or after the meeting. And so um, it quickly becomes a place where at least some of the faces are familiar and the location is familiar. And that um, is something that I noticed becomes important to me over time. So it's, it's the, it's an aspect of a community that I am comfortable being a part of. And, you know, even when it's new, it's inevitable. It will happen. If I keep coming back, then I will uh, see familiar faces and be comfortable in a familiar room. One of the things that adds to that for me is that uh, when I walk into a room I've been in several times, you know, I know I can trust that the people in that room will tell me the truth. You know, I'm not going to hear um, platitudes. I'm not going to hear uh, all these, oh, you look good today, you know, and stuff like that that are superficial types of, of things. I, some people have a genuine interest. And if I say that I'm doing okay and they can see that I'm not, they say, yeah, tell me another one. What's going on with you? You know, and they, they call me on stuff. And I count on that because sometimes I can still delude myself into thinking that I'm okay when I'm not okay. And, you know, when I get into a community like that, that has been there, done that, they can see it, they can spot it, they, they know it. And that is a, an essential part of community for me. Yeah. And, and uh, as you say that, I recognize that sometimes I might be the one who is seeing somebody uh, whose words are not matching what I'm detecting, and I might say, you know, how are you doing? It seems like you're having a hard time. What's really going on? Just like I might be the one that someone's saying that too. And isn't that a beautiful part of of community? Is that, you know, we're on any given day, any of us might be, um, you know, more or less in a position to offer. Uh, experience strength and hope or maybe i need to receive more experience strength and hope on that day and it's okay or it might change from the beginning to the end of the meeting who knows i also like a a, a group where um i can depend on that people will be there um when i need them and even in bad weather i remember uh, sometimes you go to a meeting with just a few people but someone is there no matter what well, hold that thought and we'll be right back. Please stay with us. I'm Diane Ray, Program Director for Unity Online Radio. And from all of us at unityonlineradio.org, thanks for your support and for helping us grow this year. We wish you a joyous holiday season. 
Welcome back to Spirit of Recovery with Rev. Lonnie Vanderslice and Rev. Dan Beckett. Welcome back to Spirit of Recovery. We're glad you're with us today. And if you're just joining us, my name is Rev. Lonnie Vanderslice and I'm here with Rev. Dan Beckett. We will resume our discussion in a moment, but first we want to let you know that the phone lines are open, so if you have a question or a comment to share, please give us a call at 816-251-3555. Again, that number is 816-251-3555. Prior to the break, we were discussing two things. First of all, isolation, you know what it looked like and felt like for each of us that so common experience that so many of us have coming into addiction recovery and also community. Now, what does a healthy community look and feel like? So Lonnie, now that we know about this challenge of isolation and that the solution is somehow contained in community, how exactly does community lead us to what we're calling today joyous connection, a life of joyous connection? Well, I think for me, um, I don't know the exact mechanisms, but I know what I did, you know, and one of the things that, that for me um, was was significantly important was showing up every day. You know, I did the 90 meetings in 90 days when I was in early in recovery uh, to make a daily connection and to forge those bonds to uh, to see who's in the rooms instead of when I, you know, later on was only going once here, once there, whatever uh, due to job and other kinds of things, you know, I, I started feeling disconnected. But it's it's kind of like showing up at the dinner table, you know? Somebody gets to look you in the eye and, and make a connection and go, how are you? You know, how are things going? Uh, what's, what's up with you? And th- that was instrumental for me, was this daily connection in the same community. I also don't know that I really get the mechanism or how it works in in the big picture. What I've noticed is that it seems to be one of those situations where, as we say, the whole is greater than the sum of the parts. I kind of know what the parts are, and but I'm not sure exactly how they all come together to make this whole experience that really is so much greater than the sum of each little thing. But one of the um, aspects of it, one of the quote little things is uh, contained in in that saying that we hear a lot, keep coming back, keep coming back. And we talked before about how a healthy community is welcoming. And, you know, underneath the welcoming, there's a real compassion that the uh, group has as a whole or each group member for a newcomer or maybe a person who's not new to the program, but is new in town, maybe new at that meeting. Um, and it and it shows up in that welcome to uh, that invitation to keep coming back. You know, keep, we're glad you're here. Keep being a part of what we're doing. Your presence here matters uh, to this group. Keep coming back. That's one of the parts that somehow adds up to uh, this wonderful and uh, transformational experience of community. I think that you mentioned um, a very important value there, that of compassion, compassion and kindness. You know, when we were out there, that was probably not something that we practiced very much of being so self-centered and, you know, self-focused and, and intent on the next whatever was coming our way. But um, even when I, I had multiple experiences early in recovery where I had opportunities to disconnect, 
you know i had i had uh bankruptcy and and uh, uh cancer and death of my parents and you know loss of jobs and loss of spouse and on and on and on all these different things where the easy thing for me to do would to be go into isolation and shame and hide and because i had this connection and community that didn't happen you know they would say how you doing today i'd say you know you get to the end of your rope you tie a knot in it and hold on come back tomorrow you know or why don't you come back tonight at six you know we've got a six o'clock and an eight o'clock i'd be going to a noon meeting and and the genuine compassion that uh, and kindness that people showed was if you will the hook that kept me showing up because that was not something at that point that I was getting anywhere else in my life and it and it was uh, important in my healing I believe through that part of my journey absolutely and and what I'm remembering or uh, a way of thinking of it or maybe even describing it that is meaningful to me is asking you know how is it that participation in a community or these aspects of a community uh, elements of a community that we're talking about how has that helped me with that isolation that we talked about before that that so many of us have had and in, in not being um, not knowing how to connect or who to connect with or even what that might be like well one way that it's helped me is uh, by slowly getting to know other people who are like me you know even as we said we might not look alike or sound alike you might not think that we have a strong connection but like the shipwreck survivors you know that the literature talks about we really do have a strong connection that's present um, underneath anything superficial related to appearance or age or you know station in life occupation whatever it it might be so slowly getting to know people who are like me, other shipwreck survivors, so to speak, is one way that uh, being part of a community has helped create connection for me. You know, and I first got involved in, in uh, service work through this, uh, an invitation to become a part of. And, um, you know, I was moaning about being not, not feeling a part of, and my sponsor said to me, you know, you'll be a part of when you decide to act like you're a part of. And, oh, okay. So, you know, she made some suggestions about, um, you know, where I could help and how I could help without overcommitting myself, whether it was pouring coffee, leading one meeting, you know, uh, signing up for the potluck and then showing up, you know, I mean, just little things. But um, that led into an expression of this compassion and kindness when somebody was ill and in the hospital, you know, when somebody needed a ride, when somebody was having trouble with their kids or whatever, when, when somebody needed something, I go, oh, I know how that feels, you know, perhaps I can help. And, and I think that, you know, that service is mixed in there with that instead of being a goal in itself. Oh, look at all the service I'm doing, you know, that it, that it became a, a, a way to express those values. I agree so much with that and, and have had a similar experience where, um, the, and this applies, I think, both for me, both to recovery communities and the church community, maybe in a similar manner. But it's a place to step up in service to others. You know, in a 12-step community, it, it may have started with uh, making coffee or, you know, straightening the chairs to make sure the room is laid out ahead of 
the meeting. And then after some time, that can turn into chairing a meeting. Uh, I remember doing that early on. And then eventually, you know, I even stood for a, a board position uh, within my home group. I, I love how the leadership of the group rotates, you know, because when I got there, I thought those were the bosses. You know, those were the those were the ones that knew more than than everybody. And it was always strange to me to see, you know, the person who was the group chair uh, one month, uh, half a year later, just sitting on the couch in the back, just like everybody else. They're like, wow, this really is a community-led group here. And the person who was the chair before is not now. And someone who's not now might be later. Who knows? But there are lots and lots of opportunities for each of us to step up in service to the group, um, you know, maybe realizing or not realizing that it's helping us as individuals at the same time that it's helping the group as a whole. It's just kind of a win-win situation. And, and a healthy group or, you know, when I ask how has community helped me create connection, that's one way. It's given me a place to step up in service to the group and to others. And, you know, I mentioned earlier that I knew how to do uh, that was that was my my uh, enculturation was that's how you connected with people was by doing things. And the group that I was in did things, you know, and so uh, we did camping trips and float trips and potlucks and and parties and things like that. And so in that way, it, while they were peripheral to the purpose of the group, they were a way of being a part of and being connected. And I got to know a smaller group of people better. And, and so if I have to look at the, the, the bigger whole, the way I got connected in this, um, in this system was by, with small groups of people like that. You know, I can make a connection and I can carry a conversation and I can be a part of if there's like six people. And so, you know, serving on committees like that uh, to help make things happen, that was great for me. Uh, I didn't have to be out in front of the whole group. One thing that comes to mind similar to that is familiar faces. For me, familiar faces create an environment that is comfortable. And so that's a way that a community uh, helps me learn to create connection. Because when, when I show up um, time and time again, you know, we have that saying, suit up and show up. Or as you mentioned, 90 meetings in 90 days. You know, as we show up often enough to become, to really feel like a part of the group or even just a meeting you know some places have so many meetings that the the 8 p.m meeting has a different vibe and feel and familiar faces than the 6 p.m meeting so even if i'm just showing up uh, once a week at a particular meeting it's still a community unto itself and seeing familiar faces and being a familiar face you know at the same time helps create a an environment that for me is very comfortable and a comfortable environment is is a place where i can learn um, to forge connections with others to learn that heart connection um, that we talked about before you know and i learned some new um uh, ways to connect with my higher power when I started um, becoming connected in the group. I was invited to the Sunday evening meditation meeting. Well, I'd never experienced the meditation meeting before. And um, being able to see, well, what does that look like? What does that feel like? What does that do for me? That was a whole different flavor 
than some of the others I had been to. But in addition, uh, because the groups uh, that I was involved with were very um, open to my particular path and everybody else's to a relationship with a higher power, I was exposed to things like, um, like um, oh, a sweat lodge, for example, that I would have never sought out on my own and I would never have done on my own. But there was a group of women that went to Oklahoma one one weekend for a for a a meeting down there and part of the whole event included a sweat lodge. And so I got to experience some of these other modalities, if you will, of connecting with my higher power that I would never have been able to do otherwise and and I heard a guy say in a meeting one time he said yeah I went to church with so-and-so this morning said you know I got to see how they connect with their higher power doesn't work for me but that's really cool that they can connect that way you know and and I've thought about that a lot over the years because uh, one of the things about community is I mentioned the tolerance earlier and this was that um, allowing allowing each of us to find our own path yeah, I've heard that voice as, um, you know, allowing each of us to have the dignity of our own process, whatever that might be, you know, however different it might be than um, someone else's process. It it doesn't matter, recognizing that there's something powerful underneath it all um, that is present, regardless of what it might look like on the outside. Uh, another way that comes to mind that communities help me make connections is that um, just like familiar faces creating a, a comfortable environment, familiar stories create a comfortable environment. I mean, I can go to a a play a meeting I've never been to, and although I haven't seen those faces or that room, I have experienced some of, if not many of those stories or those situations. And so um, I remember even in my first year, this was most striking, that someone could be sharing, who was decades older than me, grew up in a completely different environment, different gender, you know, almost like nothing in common, but they'd be telling a story and I'd be thinking, I know exactly what you're talking about. I felt exactly the same way, you know, across all of those um, more, you know, outer or circumstantial aspects uh, of each of us, there was a connection with these familiar stories. And so familiar stories uh, help to create an environment that for me is comfortable. And that create that, you know, that supports in me uh, connection. I mean, I suppose it's part of safety. I don't know that we've said it, but feeling safe is critical to making connections. And that's yet another way that uh, makes me feel safe and comfortable enough to reach out. And, you know, what you're mentioning there uh, kind of relates to this shared experience. You know, while we're talking, when we hear somebody tell their story, we're often relating to their shared experience of the past. Yeah, I've been there. I did that. I thought that. I felt that. But, you know, when we have current shared experiences, that also uh, helps me feel connected. And and things I'm thinking about are the, the weekly celebration meeting for um, – whoever's celebrating a year or two or five or 10 or 30 or whatever um, years of continuous sobriety, you know, that, that I get to go there and celebrate with everybody else. Or when the group that I'm a part of has their 50th anniversary or their 
they're you know um, of of the group or when when there's uh there's in Kansas City there's this uh, thing called the Sunflower Roundup in February, and it is a big deal. There's several hundred people that attend that, and we go as a group, and so we have that shared experience in in the present and in the now in recovery that uh, provides opportunities for connections and bonding, and that's been significant in my recovery. You know, that's reminding me of uh, in my what was my home group for years and years, uh, the the chips ritual. In this group, um, the chips were given out at the end of every meeting. I've seen different meetings do it differently, but at this group, it was something that could happen in every meeting. And so, you know, the chair might say, you know, who would be who would like to give out the chips today? Or, you know, Joe, would you please come up and give out the the chips today and Joe or Jane or whoever would go up and they would go through kind of a familiar list, you know, start with the white chip and you'd hear a similar description. Anyone would like to join our way of life? You know, here's a white chip. Would you like to live the way we do one day at a time, et cetera. And then 30 days, 60 days. And it was a, um, a familiar ritual that created community and connection right there. And if, and if somebody, stood up for 60 days, 90 days, or whatever it might be, everyone was just so thrilled about it. You didn't, you, nobody had to ever fake it, you know? And I, and I remember picking up 60 days and I remember being there when other people are picking up 60 days, even after I had years and I could still bring back and I would say to them, I, that is a big deal. You know, this matters a lot. I'm so glad to see you picking that up. This is a genuinely 60 days is genuinely a big deal. That's a quite an accomplishment. I'm glad that you're here. There was one guy that um, at the end, when he got to the, the one year chip, the blue one, would say anybody you know celebrating a year today. And he would close by saying, everyone that holds one or more of these blue chips, please raise your hand. And th- it was such a powerful moment because anybody who was a newcomer could look around and say, oh my gosh, all of these people have been clean and sober at least a year? Are they all lying? Or, you know, can I actually do this? Is this possible? It is possible. And and it was such a visual representation of the fact, and he would close with, this works if you work it. Boom, you know, the, the proof being in the number of hands that were up. And there was no sense of pride or accomplishment. It was just, you know, this has worked for me each person raising their hand. It's such a powerful way to create a warm group feeling. I really liked that. You know, and ritual, I think, is an important part of any community, you know, and and without going in 500 directions here, you know, um, there are many around the 12-step, but there's many around church as well. And if you don't believe it, just try changing the order of service. You know, I mean, people expect, people like, and people want things to be predictable, routine, because it's comfortable, like you've talked about. And in some manner or another, it feeds our soul to to know that, oh, yeah, that's where we are. You know, whether it's saying the Lord's Prayer or whether it's, you know, the way you close the meeting or whatever it is. And so, you know, um, I don't think that we ever really call those out you know, that as rituals, but I think they're significantly important, the little rituals that celebrate who and what we are. 
I agree. And we've got several at church, everything from uh, reciting the Lord's Prayer as a group after we've done a, a time of community prayer to the, uh, you know, we have a thank a volunteer. And, uh, you know, at the end now, now's the opportunity we have to give back and each of these familiar stages from, um, you know, the announcements to uh, hearing Unity's five basic principles. And yeah, I don't know that we sit there thinking about ritual, but like you said, just try and change one of those things. You know, I think we should have chairs instead of pews. Oh boy, I don't think so. I think we should have pews instead of chairs. Uh, no, don't don't even go there. Uh, one thing that comes to mind for me with this, again, about uh, community helping create connection is, th is that it's helped me create a habit of connection that carries into other parts of my life. That's one of the most beautiful aspects of it is that what I learned, what I have learned and am learning in a recovery community and on this uh, recovery path, it might begin and uh, I only notice how it's related specifically to recovery things, but after a while, uh, it starts to show up everywhere in life. And, you know, my ability now to be comfortable uh, talking with someone I don't know or connecting with someone outside of a context that I'm normally in, whether it be at the grocery store or whatever, all of that started um, because I, I showed up and walked in and became willing to join others uh, walking a recovery path. And so those, those habits that I create and those skills, they get carried into other parts of life. And that, you know, that's a huge reason how, if you will, community has helped me create connections. It, it extends way beyond just the community that it began in. Absolutely. I was just thinking that, you know, part of the way I create connections through community is doing what they do. They taught me, community taught me, they provided the example for me of how do I show up differently instead of out of my fear and out of my um, enculturated habits and out of my survival skills. You know, how do I show up differently? Oh, you walk up to somebody and you shake their hand and you say, hey, you know, I'm glad you're here. That My name is, you know, and, um, and, and, and things of that nature, you know, they modeled for me what does healthy interaction look like. And that allowed me to begin practicing. And within this safe community that you're talking about, I was able to begin practicing in this closed, safe community until I felt comfortable enough to start trying it outside. And that was that was um, that was life changing for me. Absolutely, it, it's 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 one of the gifts of sobriety, I suppose, or of a recovery lifestyle that took a long time for me to become aware of. But it's one of the most powerful gifts that I know of that that has come out of it. You know, wh one thing I have learned is that um, through the community of recovery, I can go anywhere, you know, to any city, a city I've never been to before. And I can find a meeting and I can walk into that meeting and be a part of that group experience. You know, maybe not as comfortable as walking into my home group, but still very comfortable walking into a group of seeming strangers, you know, or, or friends that I haven't met yet is one way to uh, think of it. And to hear um, the same values being shared, to, to hear people sharing their experiences that are similar 
to mine, even though I'm in a different town. And I've heard people, this hasn't happened to me, but I've heard people have gone to a meeting in a different country where they don't even speak the language. And they all say it didn't matter. The connection, the heart, the spirit was there, and it didn't even matter if I couldn't understand the words. But let us now move into action, because Unity's fifth principle states it's not enough to know all this. We've got to live it. That means we must each take action in order to grow and recover. So here's something you can do to move from feeling isolated to experiencing the joys of connection through spiritual community. Think of a way in which you might be feeling isolated in your life today. Are you reluctant to share with others how you really feel? Or maybe you feel like you don't have anyone that would understand even if you did. Maybe you don't know where to look. Or maybe you've been part of a community, but you're having trouble getting connected in. What's important is to pick one thing, something simple, to focus on right now for this exercise. Because you can take what we do here together into your life this week and return to it anytime that you choose in order to find a moment of peace. So let's use the example of being reluctant to share how we really feel. Use a statement of power or what we refer to in unity as a denial to deny any power to the fear of sharing yourself authentically. You could say something like, fear of vulnerability is not the truth of who I am. Repeat it a few times in your head or aloud, but say it with conviction. Fear of vulnerability is not the truth of who I am. And follow that up immediately with a bold and positive affirmation of a new experience. So you could say, I connect with others in faith and confidence. I know that I matter in the world. And then take a few quiet moments just to relax and take it easy. There's no need to struggle. Just give thanks for your new experience in the world and move on with your day. Once again, fear of vulnerability is not the truth of who I am. I connect with others in faith and confidence. I know that I matter in the world. So we've come to the end of our time here today, and we hope you found something that will help you on your recovery path. Thank you, Reverend Dan Beckett, for the discussion, and thank you to all who are listening very via the various podcasts, which are Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, and TuneIn. We bless you wherever you are on your journey. And listeners, again, if you would like, you can connect with us on our Facebook page, Spirit of Recovery, to give us your thoughts and feedback. And we invite you to join us again next Tuesday at 4 p.m. Central. And until then, have a wonder-filled week. Thank you for listening to Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Do you ever feel that calling that you should be doing more with your life? If you're unhappy with the status quo, I can help. My name is Elias Patras, and I'm an intuitive motivator, psychic medium, and motivational speaker. I know that feeling, and on my podcast, Your Inner Voice, I can help you answer that call to step into your life's purpose. I will show you how to recognize and listen to the signs and signals that are all around us and help you tap into your intuition. Join me for the show here on the mindbodyspirit.fm podcast network and wherever you get your podcasts. Let's connect, 
educate and grow on this journey together.